So we're uh, going through a series called Saul. We're going through the book of 1 Samuel, and and, uh, it's broken up in three different series. The first series was Samuel, and then we moved to Saul, and then we're going to move to um, King David or David um, next week. So it's the last weekend um, in Saul, and I'm glad you're here because this is out of, you know, I've been mentioning that this series is going to take years, not months, (laughs) and here we go, oh my goodness, years. Well, the next two weeks are foundational to everything that's going to be said for years. So we're going to say the same thing for years, and we're really going to say it this morning, this morning, and then we're going to say it again in a different way next week. So these two sermons are really, really important. The reason why they're so important is because we're ending Saul, and we're going to start moving to David. Now, Saul's still going to last all the way through the book of 1 Samuel, but we're going to end Saul, and then we're going to, next week we're going to start David. Now, the Bible is not about King Saul. The Bible is not about us trying to understand who King David is. The Bible is about what? It's about understanding who God is. When you open up the Bible and you read the story of Saul, what do you want to see in the story of Saul? You want to see how God's reacting to him. You want to see what God is thinking about him. You want to see how God is working through him or how God is not working through him. You want to see God in the story of Saul. And when you go to David, you don't want to see David. You want to see God in the story of David. That's how the Bible works. So we're going to do a really fast review for the last seven weeks about Saul. And you think that we've been telling the story about Saul? We haven't been telling the story about Saul. We've been telling the story about God. But when you look at Saul, you're going to see God's reaction to Saul's life. And this is really important and very powerful because if you look at God's reaction to Saul's life, it's God's reaction to our life as well. What God is thinking and what God is working the way he's working with Saul is the same way that God works and thinks with us. So in your notes, you just see this major review, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on review. If you want to know more what I'm talking about in regards to this review, just go back and listen to all the sermons because this is all my notes. <laughs> in fact, you can get seven weeks in one week. You're going to probably say, well, why didn't you just do this instead of giving us seven weeks of sermons? But this is what the review is on Saul. You see somebody who's a good king after he's anointed. And what you do is you see the areas of his appearance. In fact, if you look at verse 8, they wanted a king for Israel. In verse or chapter 8, and then chapter 9, they get the king, which is Saul. And then 9, 10, and 11, you see this outside appearance of Saul. And he looks really good. Then you go 12, is, um, we talk about Samuel and 12, but then you go to 13, 14, and 15, you get to see the heart of Saul. So this outside appearance looks pretty good. Saul had a good pedigree. Saul was an impressive as an appearance. He was tall, he was handsome, he was charismatic. We talked about that quite a few weeks ago. Saul was trustworthy, he was diligent, he was steadfast. He carried out his employment well. Saul was humble, he was a respectful man. Saul was being led by God, he was being guided by God. Now, is that a good thing? Oh my goodness, absolutely it's a good thing. At this moment, he was. Saul was chosen by God to be king. The word of the Lord was made known to Saul. Saul was anointed by God. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. We see God working through Saul. This is good. Saul prophesied and walked alongside God. Saul was a great leader. Saul was a strong soldier. Saul was liked by the people. You look at this and say, now that is a king. And when you read those chapters, that's what you you think. But then Saul kept on living. 
And the longer you, you live, the more of you just comes out. The more of who you are and your foundational peace comes to the surface. And we know that because we live in this crazy world. As we live in this crazy world, it beats us up. And when it does it, we start coming out. Our foundation starts coming out. Our heart all of a sudden has come to the surface. And what happens is that we saw Saul go into war. We saw Saul have fame. And we saw Saul have power. And we saw Saul have wealth. And all of a sudden, they start coming his way. And as a result, coming his way, he started to portray Himself. So things kind of switched in verse chapters 13, 14, and 15. Saul believed that his way would be a way to save God's people. Is that a good thing? <laughs> That's a foundational major mistake. Saul believed that he could get God's saving power the way he wanted to get God's saving power. And then we looked at this observation of Saul walking through and these are all the notes that I just put down as we're walking through this story of Saul and we see the tests that he walked through we see the life that he lived and as a result of seeing the temptations that approached him we started to see him and you can observe where Saul stood by observing what he feared look into what Saul fears gives an explanation of what a man stands on all of a sudden, we can see clearly what Saul stood on. You can locate a man's home by observing what a man holds on to. Can you find Saul's home? Can you find your home? Is it here or is it eternity? Well, it depends on what you're holding on to. You can actually see it if you really do an evaluation. Or so. You can see a man's power by observing his mission. You can see the extent of a man's pride by seeing where he gives credit. You can identify a man's priority by watching his actions, and you can see a man's love by watching where he is loyal. You can weigh a man's heart or strength by evaluating his self-control. You can observe a man's Lord by watching who he worships. You can see what is in a man's heart by watching his motives, and you can observe the formation of a man's will by understanding what he follows. And as we're studying the book of Saul, all of a sudden you can see Saul's heart come to the service. Now, as we look at this, there's a whole bunch of different theological concepts that are going to come to mind. Asking the question, was Saul saved? Last week, you heard the words, I reject you as king. I reject you as king. In the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, you're going to see atrocities. You're going to see garbage come out of It's just going to get really, really nasty because the foundation that he was standing on was not God. So you tell me Saul wasn't saved? We'll say, no, he wasn't saved. Well, then the question comes is, was Saul saved in chapters 9, 10, and 11 and then lost his salvation in chapters 13, 14, and 15? And the reason why we want to ask these questions is because, you know, we're looking at Saul, but the way God is working with Saul, God is working with us. And so these questions are going to come up. And then you hear these words, I reject you as king. You want to ask the question, why? 
And the reason why is because you and I are going to stand in front of God. One day when we die, we're going to stand in front of God. And he is going to take us or he's going to reject us. Why did he reject Saul? (laughs) That's a question we want to ask. Why did he reject Saul? It's a question we want to ask. Do the story of last week when you got the rejection, and even in the statement when you got the rejection, you get this verse that carries a massive punchline of what God is thinking. You get this verse that carries, and it's actually two verses. You get this, this large punchline of what God is thinking and how God works. And it's found in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 26. And we'll work through every single word through this verse because there's a lot of meat in this verse. But Samuel replied, does does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, which means insubordination, presumption, like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected you as king. So when you look at this this passage, to obey is better than sacrifice. I rejected you because you sacrificed and you did not obey. I rejected you because you sacrificed and did not obey. What's the difference? <laughs> Sorry, I just, had, I just had to ask. What's the difference? What's the difference between sacrifice and obey? I mean, God is looking. I mean, we're, we're studying God here. We're not studying Saul. We're studying God. He's rejected in the terms of sacrifice rather than obey. There's got to be the difference. And what is it? I mean, if I give money, am I obeying? The answer is yes. If I give money to God, I'm obeying. But if I give money to God, am I sacrificing? The answer is yes. (laughs) If I give my time to God, am I obeying? Yes. If I'm giving my time to God, am I sacrificing? Yes. You're sacrificing time. If I give shoeboxes to God, am I sacrificing? I mean, yes, you're sacrificing. You're also what? You're obeying as well. And all of a sudden you're, you're seeing this strong punch from God speaking to obey is better than sacrifice. What's the difference? What is God thinking? I'm going to give four Differences just to give us a picture of the difference between obey and sacrifice. Number one, sacrifice is giving God something. Obedience is giving God yourself. This story about a, a couple that's been married for quite a few years, uh, but the husband in, in the relationship um, had a job where he traveled a lot. And he had a secretary that he traveled with. And he worked really close with this secretary. And as he's working really close with this secretary, it just appears to his wife that his emotions are moving away from her 
and to, uh, her, the wife, and moving towards the secretary instead. And he's texting his secretary, and he's kind of, you know, it was like, it was like her life. And then they would go away for one week. Oh, we're going to stay an extra week. I know we're not working, but we're going to stay an extra week um, on this business trip. And, and then all of a sudden, it was getting pretty obvious that he was having an affair. And as he was having an affair, they, they never brought up the subject. It was almost like this, you just, need to, you just need to live with it, you know? I'm having an affair, I'm sleeping with this other girl, but you just need to live with it. And so they never talked about it. But the husband kind of knew that she knew and knew that one day she was going to breach the subject and say, I need to confront you over this relationship that I believe that you're having with this other girl. So she did. She confronted him. But the husband was ready. And as soon as she confronted him, he got extremely defensive and said, what's your problem? I don't know what your issue is. I mean, you have my last name. She doesn't have my last name. But you have my last name. You have my house. She doesn't have my house. If you would calculate the time that I give her and the time that I give you, you get more time than she does. You have all my money. <laughs> my check, paycheck goes to your place. It doesn't go over here. What else do you want from me? And the wife trying to control herself, she says, I want your heart, you idiot. And if I don't have your heart, then I want nothing at all. If I don't have your heart, then don't give me your money. <laughs> don't, don't give me your time. Don't give me a relationship. See, we understand that concept in a relationship. When we start talking about God, it kind of gets a little bit personal. God, where am I at Sunday mornings? I am not watching the football game. <laughs> Just not. I'm here, God. I give you my Sunday mornings. I give you my gifts. I give you my service. God, haven't you seen the offering plate and what I put in the offering plate? I give you my money. This is God's attitude. It's the same attitude as a wife. But do I have your heart? Because if I don't have your heart, then I don't want anything. Because I don't need anything, nor do I want anything but you. That's Christianity. It's a, a relationship that God desires. Give me you. Now, when we approach it in that situation, you're going to do shoeboxes. You're going to give money. You're going to give time. You're going to give energy. But the question is, why? <laughs> because he has your heart. And as a result of having his heart, <laughs> he has you. He has you. And then all of a sudden, your whole mind, your whole perspective chooses after you receive this gospel in Christ, say, I am giving you myself. Then you are driving forward. But if you just have your hand serving God and not giving his heart, you're not giving God what he wants. You're not giving God what he wants. 
Saul is, I'm king. I'm fighting the battles. I'm doing it. Paul's motivation was wrong. Paul's drive was wrong. Because he really did not want his heart necessarily connected to God. His heart was connected elsewhere. And what he did was for something else even besides before God. Did something else before, um, instead of God. Sacrifice is giving God something. Obedience is giving God your heart, yourself. First Samuel 15, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? I don't delight in the cash. I delight in you. I delight in you. I don't delight in your time. I delight in you. God wants your heart, not your hand. Because if he gets your heart, he'll get your hand. <laughs> That's just, this is the way it works. But if he gets your hand, he might never get your heart. You have to think that way. Because the way that Saul thought, I give you my hand and I'll keep my heart for something a lot more special. Number two, sacrifice is dying for God. Obedience is living for God. I did a, that sermon on, a, on Israel, and I had somebody talk to me about end times and says, you should do a, a whole series um, on end times. And, and when you look at um, end times, I don't know if you've <laughs> read the book of Revelations, it's, 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 it's really, really intense. And there's, there's war, and there's dragons, and there's the end times, is judgment. I mean, it's, it's God's glory just coming up. It's just, it's intense, it's massive. And when you look at the end times, there's always a question on where am I going to be and what's going to be happening to me during the end times. And some believe that we'll be raptured before anything happens bad. Um, well, I mean, that means nothing's happening bad on earth. <laughs> You're still living in it. So is it going to get more intense? Yes, according to Scripture, it's going to get more intense. Well, where am I going to get fit when it gets more intense? Let me even ask you the question. Are we going to have to die for our faith in the end times? Yeah, it depends where you stand theologically. People are dying for the faith right now in China. People are dying for the faith all over the world. In fact, if you read the book of Martyrs, I mean, uh, the, um, you'll see that people are dying for their faith now. Well, but not in America. <laughs> We're not dying in our faith. Having this conversation with this individual, it's just a fast conversation in the, in the foyer. It's like, you know... I don't think speaking about the end times is really good for America right now. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing that yet. And, and the reason why is because we have a God of comfort that is driving us. We have a God of entitlement that is, that is there. Nothing's going to happen to us. But what if something did happen to us and the gun got pointed at your head and said, do you believe God? And if you say yes, I'll pull the trigger and no, then I won't. What would the church look like in America? Personally, I think many would fold. <laughs> many would deny. And the reason why is because if you are not living for God, there is no way you're going to die for God. 
There's no way. You look at the you look at the book of Acts, and people were dying for God. But the reason why they were dying for God is because they were living for God. God was alive in their life, and as He's alive in their life, they didn't care if they died because they're going to look at Him face to face. So my comment was, let me get through the book of First Samuel, and you're going to see David. It says, he's my king of kings. He's my Lord of lords. And if I am doing nothing and there's peace and there's comfort, he's still my king of kings. He's my Lord of lords. I will obey. I will love. He's mine. And if there's not peace and there's not comfort, who cares? He's still my king of kings and Lord of lords. And if he puts a bullet to my head, threatens to put a bullet to my head, it's all right. He's still my king of kings. He's my Lord of Lords. Right now in America, God does not want you to die for him. (laughs) He does not want me to die for him. He wants me to live for him. Because if I live for him, I'll then be ready to die for him if it ever needs to take place. To obey is better than sacrifice. I want you dead right now. I want you to live And it's going to be a lot harder to live than it is going to be to die. But if you don't live, you're not going to die. Number three, sacrifice is writing of the check. Obedience is cashing the check and living it up. I always know that I got a pretty decent point if if the secretaries correct it and say, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) The number B, uh, the secretary said, Living it up means party. (laughs) Living it up means just having a great time. Living it up means life and life to the fullest. Mike, do you sure you want to put that in there? (laughs) And I said, absolutely. Because this is what sacrifice is. Sacrifice is like if you win the lottery, what do you get? You get a check. But what does that check do for you? It does nothing, nothing, unless you cash it. (laughs) That's just what you have to do. It does nothing for you unless you cash it. This is Christianity in a nutshell. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose. He's the answer. I have set you free from the chains of death, sin, and death. You are saved, not as a result of what you've done. You're saved as a result of what I have given you. And from here on out, guess what? You can have life and life to the fullest, and that's why the Bible talks about so much joy, talks about so much happiness, talks about so much peace, talks about so much rest. Because the way that God views joy, excitement, is God's plan and God's umbrella is you follow this and then you can have it. And if you don't follow it, oh, you're gonna just ruin yourself. And listen to how the Bible speaks. The Bible has this word sin all the way through it. And, and when you ever hear the word sin, you see a lot of words that are attached to it. And some of the words are death, sin is brokenness, sin is slavery, sin is debt, sin kills, sin is intoxicating, sin stains, sin is a disease, sin is a predator, sin chains, sin is leprosy. I mean, every time it talks about sin, it does not talk about sin in a positive light. In fact, it talks about sin into a category that if you drink it, it will destroy you. So a father 
good father would say, stay away from it. That's what a good father. Why? For your good. For your good. There's not one word in the Bible that's against a Christian. In fact, every word in the Bible is spoken to give a Christian life. So if he says don't do something, what are you going to do? I'm not going to do it. Why? Because this is going to give me life. I worked for Hillcrest Juvenile Correction Facility and, and for the state of Oregon. And I remember sitting in a break room one time. And uh, I sat in the break room. I was just kind of taking a break. And I looked down and I saw a little, a little um, uh, magazine. And uh, on the top of the magazine, it says, who has the most sex? So, of course, I look around, make sure nobody's looking, see if I'm going to pick that thing up here. <laughs> I don't want anybody to look at But I want to know what it is the most sex. So I, I grabbed it and I, started, I opened up the book. And I wanted to see who it was. You know, is this The Bachelor? Because there's a world that, you know, take it all, freedom, and all these kinds of things. I want to see what the answer was in that side of that book. So I read the book. Or read the magazine, the article. And do you know what I read inside of that article? I read God's plan. Now, mind me, this is a secular article where they did research and they did data and they came up with all this data and came up with a solution of who has the most, the best, the greatest, the most satisfying, all these areas in regards to sex. And do you know who it was? The married couple with complete and solid exclusivity. This is the research of the person who's the greatest exile in regards to most fulfillment and most satisfying in everything that you wanted. It wasn't trying to sell God's plan, but it was God's plan. Because after the research was done, they even went as far as saying, view pornography and you will take your sex life away. You will ruin the golden jewel of sex. <laughs> Sacrifice is the check, writing of the check, but receiving Christ's sacrifice, why don't we live it up? How do you live it up? Obey. <laughs> Obey. And you, and you get these words, love, peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This is what I want for every human being. And we read those, it's like, well, that's what we all want. God's like, well, then why don't you read the Bible, obey, and get it? <laughs> Because anything that comes after you, at you, it's going to come to destroy. You also even look at the Beatitudes. Happy, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy, happy are the peacemakers. I want to give you life and life to the fullest, and life and life to the fullest is right here. Often we don't believe that. Often we don't believe it. In fact, even Christianity has been reduced to I give God this, and I do this whatever I want. I give God that, that should get me into heaven. But I'm not going to give him my heart. I'm not going to give him my life. To obey is better than sacrifice. First Timothy 15, 22. And to heed than the fat of rams. Heed means pay attention. Take notice. Pay attention to what? Take notice of what? Here's one thing that we should take notice of. That if you are in Christ, take notice of what you have. Not what you're going to get from God. Take notice of what you have 
in God. John 3.16 is the most powerful verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Loved is past tense. We are all like, does God love me? Does God love me? Does God love me? That verse says, God loved you this much. Look back 2,000 years ago and look at that cross and you will see exactly how much he loves you. And when you see exactly how much he loves you, stop doubting it. <laughs> look at what you have. Look what you can get from God. Before, sacrifice is hard work. Obedience is hard work. I don't like to ever sit up here and brag about myself, but sometimes you just have to brag about yourself, so I'm just going to have to do it. Um, if my wife ever has an issue, she can come and talk to me about the issue, and I, in my great wisdom, can fix her problem every single time. I can. She's just sit there and talk, and, and then I'll just give her an answer. And when I do, do you know what she does? She has the audacity to say, stop fixing my problem." And I, I, I look at it, it's like, honey, I have a good answer. Why would you tell me to stop fixing your problem? It's because I just want to talk about it. Why do you want to talk about it if you don't want me to fix it? It doesn't make any sense. You talk to me about it for the purpose of fixing it. That's when you talk to me. And you can, No, I am talking to you about it because I want to process. You want to do what? <laughs> process so i'll sit here while you're processing with the answer that you're looking for and you want me to keep it from you <laughs> it's like this is doesn't it doesn't make sense and why because she doesn't want my stupid brains she wants my heart and if she has my mouth she has my brains and if she has my ears she has my what heart and if she has my heart, she's receiving therapy talking to me about it. You, you see how that works? But men are going, that is not easy. <laughs> it's not. But God asks you to do a lot of things that are not easy. I'll give you another one that's not easy. God asks you to do sometimes. Wait. <laughs> God, that makes absolutely no sense. It makes absolutely no sense sense made no sense to me years ago when I was being called into ministry it's like God was was calling me into ministry and I was scared out of my mind so what did I do I opened up the Bible and I said God teach me how to preach because I don't know how to do it and I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to stand up in front of people to do it and then I slave labored in scripture behind the, behind, the, behind the scenes. Nobody saw, I'm just like, God, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And do you know what I saw in there? I saw a gospel that carries power, that will change the world. I mean, I always believe in the gospel. But when you see this gospel, it's like, God, this is gonna be fun to proclaim. This is gonna be great to shout out. It changed the world back then, and it can actually change the world it is the thing that will change the world right now. So then you kind of get the changes a little bit. And after it changes a little bit, I got excited about it. And then God says, glad you're excited, but you're not going to get to do it. Okay, that's fine. One year, two years, three years, four years, five years. God, you're messing with me. Six years, seven years, 
eight years. I mean, all, all the time, I said, God, I, I want to do this in my excitement. It's like, that excitement's not about you. The excitement is about me. And I'm going to give you 15 years of trying to figure that out. And those who wait upon the Lord, they will renew his strength, will mount up his wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faith. If I went after God's mission immediately, I would have crashed and burned the next day. Because it wouldn't have been about me. <laughs> it's about God. I had somebody in my office uh, uh, yesterday as they were talking I just said you know there's nothing you can say it's just going to hurt my feelings <laughs> and the reason why is because I've been solitude you know working at church God conquers you and the way he conquers you is he says wait 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 it's the same thing as saying just listen to me Mike my wife's saying just just listen to me see some of the things that God gives us command to do does not make sense to us. That is why obey is better than sacrifice. Because obey is God's on the mission with you. Sacrifice is, God, I, I have something for you. I'll do it so I can change the world. God's like, I wish I could just move you aside so you obey so I can change the world. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Because you wouldn't listen to me. Because you wouldn't listen to my heart. Because you wouldn't walk with me. Because you've rejected what I said. God has rejected you from being king. Do what I ask, not what you think is right. And I might ask you some crazy things that you don't understand. Do it anyway. Here's one. Wait. That doesn't make any sense. Do it anyway. Here's another one. Pray. What do you do when you pray? Personally, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Think about it. What do you do? You close your hands, you close your eyes, and you get on your knees. That's not a good business strategy. <laughs> Think about that. And running a good business. You're not going to make money doing that. <laughs> You're not going to have a powerful position in the world doing that. But God says, I want you to do nothing but focus on me. But God, I could be doing everything else for you with people that are not saved. It's not what I want. That's sacrifice. Listen to what I say. Obey. Pray. And then what I'll do is I'll ignite all my power in the person that is praying. It's the way God is working it. Number five, just kind of coming off after we did the three points of four points of understanding what um, uh, sacrifice and obedience are. Number five is the lack of obedience, rebellion is a sin of divination. After you get this strong to, to obey as better than sacrifice, you get these very, very powerful words. And if you don't obey, it's like the sin of divination. What? 23, rebellion the act of taking it over, that's what rebellion means, is like the sin of divination. What is divination? This is divination. Divination is to be inspired by a God, little g. 
It originates from the Latin divinare, which means I foresee, I foretell, I predict, and I prophesy. It is taking the power out of God's hands and being inspired by something else and making it your God. I'll give you an example of that. Probably about the best example in Scripture is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot did what? He was saved for three years. Or was he not? <laughs> and the reason why was he saved or was he not is because we know he went to hell. It's been better that you had not been born. That means that he did not go to heaven. But for three years, he heard Jesus' message. Jesus says he sent the disciples out. Does that mean he sent 11 out and kept Judas away? No. He sent all of them out to preach the gospel. Does that mean Judas preached the gospel? Yes. If he sent all of them out, Judas would preach the gospel. And he did that for three years. Well, why was he rejected? Why was he rejected by God? The reason why he was rejected by God is because he had another God. Divination was there. Another God was inspiring him to move forward as he walked with Jesus. And what was the other God in his life? Well, he's a money keeper. Is there anything wrong with money? There's nothing wrong with money unless you disobey God to get it. <laughs> and what did he do in the process of being a money keeper? During with all the disciples because money had to come in. When the money came in, he started shoving it in his pocket. And after nobody caught him, he'd shove a little bit more in his pocket. And as he followed Jesus, he followed Jesus for the dollar. And how do we know that? Mary Magdalene came and dumped perfume all over Jesus' head and said, this is for your burial. And how much was that perfume worth? It was worth roughly about $30,000. And when the 12 disciples looked at that taking place, there was two gods Connecting. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and $30,000 dumped over his head. And Judas couldn't stand it. That's $30,000. But why didn't it bug the other disciples? The reason why it didn't bug the other disciples is because Jesus was their king. Jesus was their Lord. Jesus was their ultimate the reason why it bugged Judas is because money was his king, money was his lord, and money was his ultimate. God, I can give you all my works, but I'm not going to give you my heart. I'm going to actually keep it for something else. I'm going to keep it for something else. It's exactly what Judas did. And then all of a sudden he was tested, and when he was tested, he went out and sold Jesus. Get rid of you. Get my God again. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. When I rebel, I'm being inspired by something else that is not God. Those are powerful, powerful words that are coming to Saul. Number six, refusing to listen to God is like the evil of idolatry. You think that one was powerful. Well, hold on a second. Look at the next one. Refusing to listen to God is as evil as idolatry. What does idolatry mean? It means that you have another God. If God says, I want you to do something, I'm, and you go, I don't want to do it. You're actually choosing 
another God. Now, this is scary if you start looking at it this way, because we disobey. And I tell you, when you look at this, you think, oh my goodness, am I choosing another God? When you look at this passage, every translation takes the word um, rebellion and puts it in a different word. And I just want to read the passage itself. It says, and arrogance. This is the word of rebellion. Arrogance. What does arrogance mean? NASB says, the insubordination. And the ESV says, presumption. And the CSB says, defiance. And arrogance, insubordination, presumption, defiance is like the evil of having another God. Insubordination is, God, you're an authority, but I have another one. Ooh. When we disobey God, that's what we're doing. God, you're an authority, but there's something that I want more. God, you're the king of kings, but there's another king. God, there's a Lord, Lord, but there's another Lord. Just tugging at all of our hearts. Insubordination is defiance of authority. How many times do we do defiance of authority? How many times do we rebel? It's crushing us, I don't know. It's crushing me. And when I look at the, I look at the story of Saul and I see the words, you are rejected by as being king, rejected by God. I tell you, it's like, why? It's because you obey. You do not obey. Sacrifice instead of obey. Obeying is better than sacrifice. We'll look at these two words. Combine the words to make sense for us in the 21st century. Because if you're sitting here asking the questions, like I'm asking the questions, it's like, you're being awful rough on Saul. Being rough on Saul means you're going to be rough on me. Here's the difference between obey and sacrifice. Number seven, Christ's sacrifice is how you get God, and your obedience is the proclamation that you have him. Christ's sacrifice is how you get God. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross because I did not live a perfect life, and he died on the cross paying the penalty for my sins, rose again so I could have eternity. Sacrifice was paid. My debt paid in full. Christ takes all the credit for it. Every ounce of credit for it, he's the one that takes it. Don't mess with your salvation because Christ is the one that paid for it. When it comes to the concept of sacrifice, if one of my daughters said, I'm gonna sacrifice for you, if one of us was gonna die, I'm gonna die, it would make me mad. <laughs> my wife says, I'm gonna die for you, it would make me mad. You don't die for me because I don't wanna live if you do, and you don't die for me because I don't wanna live with you do. I'm the husband, I die for you. It's the same way with God. Salvation is what I have done in me and me alone and in this position, I laid down my life so you can live. Well, then what do you do about it? What do you do about it? Just obey. This is what sacrifice says. Sacrifice says price paid. And obedience says, I believe. <laughs> obedience says, I am yours. Obedience says, you're the one. Obedience says, you own me. Obedience says, I understand. Obedience says, I trust you. 
Because the gift that Christ has given us does not go to the mind. It goes to the heart. And it hits it hard. And as a result of it being hit hard, you want to make a statement. And all of a sudden, obedience comes out. But all of us are thinking, am I saved? Am I, am I not saved? How much obedience and how little obedience? I mean, how much obedience does it take? Don't ask that question. This is the question you want to ask. Is, does he have your heart? <laughs> does he have your heart? You're going to see this next week because these are kind of the, the strong tools that you're getting at the end of Saul. But next week, we're going to talk about David, a man after God's own heart. And then you're going to see it unfold for two years, just to let you know. Does God have your heart is the question you should be asking right now. If the answer is, I don't know, you need to practice two different things. I'm going to say you need to obey two things. I just want you to obey two things. Okay, this is it. Obey it. Here's the two things to obey. Letter eight, repent, confess. Repent and confess. What does repentance mean? Repentance is a broken person that says, I'm not God, and you are. Repentance is a person that has looked inside of a sin and said, I can't get to heaven, but I see what you've done. Repentance is a shattered person that says, I give up, I can't get to heaven on my life, but God, I see I can get to heaven on your life. Repentance says, you are God. And the day that you say, you are God, is the day that you are saved. But then you get this word confess. What is confess? You need to confess your sins. The reason why you need to confess your sins is because you're gonna do them. (laughs) The reason you need to confess your sin is because you're not going to be perfect and obey. I'm just being honest with you. You're not going to be perfect and obey. Therefore, do this one thing. Confess your sin. What does that mean? What does confess your sin mean? This is what confess your sin means. Confession is saying it is not God. And you are. Saul could have got out of it. Saul's heart was off. All he had to do was repent. And all he had to do was say, it's not God. You are. It's not God. You are. Just obey those two. Because every time you confess, you are telling God that it, whatever it is, or them, whatever it is, nobody else is God. And if something acts like God, money, taking it as the ultimate, riches, power, fame, lust, anything that comes at you, that's taking this divination trying to take over you, confess. And by saying that, you're saying, it's not God, you're God. That's where the power's at. And Saul could have done it. But he didn't. And then what we're going to see next week is David lived a life of it. And as a result of living a life of it, he was called a man after God's own heart. 
And Saul just died. God, we just thank you so much that the price has been paid. And we also thank you that you're the one that paid it. By understanding, God, that you have paid it sets us on fire, God, to obedience. Because it means that we are yours. I just pray as individuals and as a church body, God, that obedience would just be bursting out of us, God, as a result of what we have. Let us cash the check and live it up. You have given us life and life to the fullest, breaking the chains of sin and darkness. Help us to know it, understand it, and move forward with it. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.